This is LOL DC. I'm Sheena Satum. I'm an Army brat, a self-help enthusiast, and I manage one of the top real estate teams in Washington, DC. I have three small kids, and I've had the privilege of serving on several nonprofit charity boards. I also run a women's empowerment group, and I teach real estate classes across the country. And all these amazing opportunities have allowed me to meet some of the most amazing people who I can't wait to introduce to you. We'll venture through DC and talk about some of the exciting things we're doing to make our communities a better place. One of the most recent projects we invested in was a shower truck for the homeless. We live in one of the most stressed out areas of the whole country. I think it's time for disruption. So sit back, relax. It's time for LOL DC. All right, Han, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing good. It's been some time since we've chatted on the podcast, and I wanted to catch up with you on all the things that are going on in your life. <laughs> I feel a little left out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, what are you drinking over there? Uh, I am drinking Angry Orchard Rosé Hard Cider. Not my first choice, but it'll do. First of all, we should let everyone know we're very, very classy, <laughs> and so we're drinking rosé. Hard cider rosé that I you just clinked my bottle. We're drinking right out of the bottle. High class. What do you think about it? It has notes of rose petals and soil. <laughs> tastes like diluted cider is what it tastes like. Okay, so not your thing. Not my thing. Rosé is very big in D.C. Like, this is the thing. Mm, I'll stick to the beer and the whiskey. Rosé. <laughs> rosé salad. Rosé shrimp. Yeah. So... I wanted to catch up with you and see how things were going. And a few people wrote me and said they wanted me to interview you with a few questions. So we'll get there. But first off, what's going on in the DC real estate market right now? How are you feeling? Talk to me about Amazon. Super excited. Buying up investment properties like crazy over there. <laughs> so uh, Amazon's obviously got drawn a lot of interest. More so in Northern Virginia, Arlington, Alexandria area. But DC is definitely, a lot of people in DC are asking, you know, what's Amazon going to do? And people are calling up looking for investment opportunities. I think it's definitely a mix of, you know, there's definitely going to be a real, real appreciation increase just from the demand that's being drawn right now. We are seeing places sell more quickly and prices seem to have increased, particularly in Northern Virginia in the short term. So it's definitely a combination of real and, and also hype because I do think once it, things settle down a little bit, you won't, we won't have quite as much kind of hysteria, if you will, over over the Amazon move, particularly because Amazon's move here is going to be kind of spread out over, over several years. So the impact will be, you know, a little bit diluted. But anytime you have 25,000 jobs coming, especially, you know, six-figure income kind of jobs, that's certainly a good thing for the local market. I think the timing is good because nationally, it looks like the the market is starting to slow and start to cool a little bit. We just looked at like our regional numbers and volume for the past, I want to say six months, going back to like August of 2018, year over year has been lower than consistently for the past six months. So like August of 2018 was slower than August of 2017, all the way up to the last data we have is January of 2019 being a little slower than January of 2018. So DC has been kind of a little bit immune to that. It has seen a little bit of fluctuation, but it hasn't seen as much of a slowdown as like Maryland and Virginia have. And I think part of that is obviously the federal government jobs, but I think Amazon is going to help you know, slow down a sort of decrease in prices, but perhaps we'll see a little bit of flattening in the market over the next year or two. 
So, but with that said, I still think it's a really good good time in the market. Prices have continued to increase throughout that whole period, so sellers are doing really well. You know, interest rates are still low. They actually dipped here in the past couple of months, so affordability for buyers is still at a good point. Gotcha. Follow up question: What's your favorite drink? My favorite drink. Um, if I were to choose one single drink, it'd probably be rakka. It's like a Turkish licorice sort of drink. A lot of people know Uzo. Turkish Uzo. Turkish Uzo. And we just learned that the Italians have a very similar drink. They do. Don't ask me what it's called. But I think everybody has their a version of that. So going back to this, if people want to stay updated on the developments going on in this area for Amazon, we have a Facebook group called New to National Landing. That's the new name of the area that encompasses Crystal City, Pentagon City, and Potomac Yard. So That's basically the new name for the three areas where a lot of that development or Amazon is coming. And of course, other businesses are going to follow. And it's really a lot of it is like upgrades to the area because there's already a lot going on there as far as retail and development. Yeah, absolutely. Potomac Yard is actually a pretty new development in and of itself. So let's move on to something a little bit different. Wine, what's your favorite? Or like an order of like red, pink, white? (laughs) I'm not a wine drinker. Um, If I have to choose wine, I have to choose probably like a Riesling, but... That's a white. You like the box or you like it in the I bottle? can't tell the difference. <laughs> Couldn't tell you at all. Perfect. It has the nodes you like <laughs> and the age. Did the, you say, the you say nodes? Isn't it nodes? Notes. Notes. <laughs> I don't know. Nodes. I always thought it was no notes. Okay. All right. I told you we were going to keep it classy here, didn't I? This is a question I keep getting. You work on a real estate team. How many people total? Mm, 13 now. How many women? 12. How many men? <laughs> That'd just be me. Because that, yeah, because real estate math, it'd be like two or three, two or three men, but real math, one man. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You call it real estate math when I mess up my math. What is that like? What is it like? Because you came from a sales culture of all men, which I have, I was on some of those calls and they were horrific, <laughs> very different culture, very different expectations. What's it like working with women? What is it like for you as a man? with a lot more gray hair now working with all women. Well, well first off, I didn't it wasn't a hundred percent male culture in my previous IT sales life, but it was it was definitely heavy in the male culture. And yeah, it was kinda some of the stereotypical sales guy stuff. So yeah, that's definitely a little bit of a change. But I think it's actually awesome. I mean there's it's definitely kind of funny. We're you know, we do a lot of women focused events. Um, so events that I probably would not be appropriate for me to even show up to. I mean it's really, really good. I um <laughs> You know, the women on our team are all go-getters and they have no problem with, you know, getting criticized, you know, positive criticism, but criticize, encouragement, constantly being challenged, always pushing forward and always helping each other out. I think that's one of the things that I really like about the culture on our team is while it's strange to be probably the only guy in the, in the circle for some, but I think in a way women have a leg up on guys in not having some kind of these expectations on themselves of what roles they have to fill. And there's not this constant struggle of ego and kind of power struggles that I think you often get with a lot of more male dominated environments. And it's really more just kind of a cohesive, like synergistic teamwork team. Every single person on the team really wants the others to to kind of do well rather than a win lose kind of mentality. It's really a kind of a win win mentality. Yeah, I would agree with you for sure. I mean, I think women sometimes feel like they have to fulfill roles, but that ego part, I think we've found comes more into play 
with male sales folks as opposed to women, especially from your past experience? Yeah, I think I mean I think it's a natural tendency. I think especially in a sales role, men often are you know are very very competitive to the point of where it is you know me me versus you sort of a mentality. And I, I think the women on our team are super competitive too, but they're competitive with themselves. They're looking at how can they continue to do better and improve themselves, and maybe competitive with you know other competing agents out there on different teams. But within the team itself, it's very very supportive and and just you know positively challenging each other to constantly improve. Mm-hmm. How are your sports teams doing? Not so good. <laughs> the Orioles probably I think it was the worst record in I don't know how many years. Next year doesn't look any more exciting. The Redskins, the Alex Smith, you know, they were looking really, really good. Then Alex Smith went down and we had a whole typical classic skins quarterback circus. And I just heard today we're picking up Case Keenum, which is the most unexciting quarterback pickup to have. Now we have Colt McCoy and Case Keenum fighting out for top quarterback spot. So that's not so great, but Maryland Terps are looking good. They should make the NCAA tournament, which is awesome. Looking forward to that. And the Capitals are still contenders. So can't complain too much. And I think right after our last conversation, you went on a guy's trip. I went on a girl's trip. The girl's trip was amazing. Your guy's trip sounded awful. Just awful. (laughs) Tell everybody like this is your annual guy's trip. And what did you do? What was it like? What was the temperature? What kind of bad decisions did you make? <laughs> so I guess to give you some history on it, so every year me and a group of guys go to a, uh, a Maryland away game. A bunch of us all went to University of Maryland, big basketball, college football, and college basketball fans. I'm really more college basketball, but some of the guys prefer college football. And uh, it kind of all started when Maryland left the ACC. On my bucket list was always to see a Maryland Duke game. And so that year when Maryland was leaving ACC to go to the Big Ten, I finally was clicked and I said, I have to make this happen this year. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. I mean, because Coach K basically said they're never playing Maryland ever again. He was like offended, personally offended that Maryland was leaving ACC. So me and a few guys spent a boatload of money, way too much money on getting tickets to to Cameron Indoor down in Raleigh and uh, and saw Maryland play Duke. Phenomenal game. Almost won. They, They lost, but it was still an amazing experience. The people down there were just the most welcoming hospitable people not at all what i would expect it's definitely not what they would experience if they were to come to college park and watch a maryland duke game there but it was such a great experience that we said we got to make this happen on a recurring basis so ever since then we've been setting up you know different slightly different rotating group of guys but so this past year this year we went to michigan state east lansing to watch maryland play michigan state and it was i guess it was in january and it was like negative 10 degrees it was i don't think i've ever felt cold quite that cold it was, uh, it it was, was, a, it was a bad decision. <laughs> it was not a bad decision. It was a good, it was an awesome trip. You know, it's classic. We go to restaurants and bars and check out the local scene and go to the basketball game. I will say this is probably the first trip where we felt like we were definitely the old guys. Past trips, we've gone to places like University of Texas in Austin. I uh, went to Columbus for Ohio State. And all those places are cities where they kind of have a mix of you know demographics, people of all ages. But what we didn't realize was Michigan State, East Lansing. I think everybody in East Lansing is between the ages of 18 and 22. So we're going into you know local bars there, and we're definitely 10, 12, 15 years older than all the people in there. So that was that was kind of interesting. But everyone was really welcoming. It was cool to see you know a different town. I really hadn't spent a whole lot of time in the Midwest, so I enjoyed it. Cold is you know would not want to live there. Negative 10 degrees is not fun. Though the people out there they they brave it. I mean. They go out wearing t-shirt and shorts, it seems like, in, in that weather. So we'll definitely continue the, the trend future, too. 
well, maybe you should go somewhere a little bit more normal and warm mm. next year. I don't know. The Big Ten, it's not a whole lot of options. We got like Nebraska and Iowa. and so Puerto Rico? No. No, no, no not a whole lot of Puerto Rico games. Yeah, sounds awful. Well, it has been a pleasure catching up with you, Han. You know, we work on the same team, but I don't really see you that often. So it's nice hearing about what's going on in your life. It's been fun. I guess I'll see you in a, in a, in a week or so. <laughs> okay. All right. You want me to start over? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron Benick Thomas, I'm actually recording now. You told me this amazing story like 30 seconds ago, and I'm sorry. I'm, you're going to have to tell it again. You have two last names. I do. I do. So my parents were uh, were kind of hippies. My dad still has a few remnants from those hippie days, but for the most part, he's a pretty, uh, pretty normal guy. You know, my, my grandfather, my mom's uh, dad, had had all girls. There's nobody to pass on the name. And, you know, we, we had assumed, you know, my, my grandfather was, uh, he had escaped from Europe before the Holocaust. We had assumed all the Binnicks were gone. And it wasn't until, you know, really about four or five years ago with, with Facebook that we actually found out that there were other Binnicks that still existed. So when my mom and dad had us, they're like, well, we got we to gotta hyphenate this last name. We got to carry on that family name. And so there we go. And my wife, my wife, uh, she loves it and hates it at the t- at the same time. Her her last <laughs> name was Moss, and so she went from Moss to a hyphenated mess. Oh my gosh! So your wife is she Jewish? Mm-hmm. Oh, she is. Is that a Jewish last name? Moss. Yeah, you know it's pretty common. Moss is usually a shortened American version of Moskowitz, which is another funny story. I've got a lot of Moskowitzes in my family, and so my wife and I, when we started dating, we we're like, hold on. Let's put the brakes on a second. Let's make sure we're not related. <laughs> so you're not kissing cousins. No, completely different Moskowitz families. It's kind of like Smith, right? A Bob Smith and a Jane Smith could be married and have zero relation to each other. That's like Moskowitz or Cohen or Levine or Levi. Any of those big names are pretty common. So. Got it. Well, I've already learned a lot. Every, You know why I wanted to really have you on air? First of all, I love you just as a person. I think you're such a kind, giving person. And you also have all these amazing stories. Like you're, There's so many levels. You're like the onion that they talk about. <laughs> well, you know, it's a miracle I've managed to survive to adulthood because of all those stories. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, first of all, we should say who you are. So you are one of the top producing agents in Cincinnati, Ohio. You are doing amazing things. You're really well known within Keller Williams, which Mm -hmm. is the brokerage I'm a part of, the biggest brokerage in the country. And one of the things, the most recent things, you were, you transacted the biggest real estate deal in what, all of Ohio? So, you know, it was the largest deal ever to not only sell, but hit our local MLS, the Cincinnati MLS. And we're not that small of a town. So that's a pretty big deal of its type. It was the largest in the region, so Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana in the last 10 years. Wow. So tell us about this deal and how you're looking to kind of expand on that. So I was showing um, a a cheap $45,000 duplex locally. It sucked. It was actually overpriced. And I know where you're from. You're like, you know, you can't even find a (laughs) blade of grass for 45 grand. But it was an overpriced $45,000 duplex. I'm showing it off to an investor of mine. And and they hated it. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I, I know you've got other rentals. You ever, you ever thought about just selling them? That was my routine question, right? Every time I met with an investor, I'd always ask that question. Have you ever thought about selling off some of your properties? Love that. 
Nobody ever said yes. And in fact, this person actually said no. I'm like, all right, no big deal. So I continue on as usual, you know, sell property here. And and uh, about a week and a half, two weeks later, I get a phone call. And they're like, Aaron, we thought about it and we'd like to sell the property. And I'm like, sweet. So I'm jumping with joy at this point because I had sold them a couple of homes. And in, in my head, they were like my average investor, right? They probably own about 20 or 30 homes. And I'm like, this is incredible. I can't believe I'm going to do like 20 or 30 at once. And like, so how- <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead to laugh because I know how big this is going to get. <laughs> I mean, I, I about fell out of my chair, but I kept my composure. So she said, uh, I asked how many, and she says 270. And without skipping a beat, I said, yep, yeah, no problem. We can do that. Here's what we need. And I, I rattled off everything I needed from her because I was about to like absolutely black <laughs> out and uh, got off the phone and pretty much blacked out. She sent over all the stuff I needed, you know, the property list, all the all the fun, gooey details. And and this is, you know, the part that most people never even think about. You know, the amount of work just on the front end to decide if it's something that we can do was astronomical. I mean, we we had got a picture of it somewhere I'll send to you of just the paperwork from the transaction, which, you know, was like two feet tall. It was incredible. I mean, it took us about a month to underwrite just the value and market potential of the portfolio. This is before we even, you know, talked about, hey, here's where we want to list it and are you cool with that? And here's what we want to charge you for it. I mean, before we even got to that part, it took me just a month to go through all the data. And so you think about that, that's that's not really easy stuff. Most people think about real estate, they wanna put a sign in the yard somewhere and just pop it on the internet and it sells. And sometimes you can do that. But this stuff is this is real work. You know, this is nothing that they taught in real estate school. This is certainly nothing that any of my coaches or other training programs taught about. I, I kinda had to craft a lot of this stuff on my own. And you just said yes. I mean, I think that probably I don't know if you'd agree, you'd probably agree with this. That's probably a large reason why you're successful. Have you found in your life that you're often just saying yes to big opportunities that maybe you've not touched in any kind of way? You'll just figure it out? Yeah, I do. I I still say no a lot. And you have to know when to say yes and when to say no. So this was an easy yes. The reason this was an easy yes for me is because nobody does stuff like this. There are private market sales that happen of this level off and on around the country. But, you know, that goes from one investor group to another. And those are more like business acquisitions than anything else. This was an opportunity that didn't really have a, any history to go off of. So that meant I couldn't really screw it up or mess it up, whatever I'm allowed to say in your podcast show. <laughs> couldn't really mess it up. And if anything, I, I could... Uh, I could start something new. I could actually build the model around it. And how often do you have an opportunity to build a model around something in real estate? Like, frankly, I would say hardly ever. Yeah. Literally, the book has been written on real estate. Many books have been written, but Gary Keller wrote MREA, mm-hmm. a real estate agent, so wrote the, the foundational book. And I mean, I know you're big on models and I think it's incredible. I think it's incredible that you went to to that level, because some people might just do the transaction and then they're not doing anything else. But you thought about how can I expand on this? How can I perhaps do it again? Or is this something that you're looking to teach classes on? Or yeah, you know what? And we've taught a couple classes on it. What I find is most people are not interested in it, and that that kind of shocked me. And it's mostly because people don't believe that something like this can ever happen to them or will happen again. 
And I'm like, listen, people sell bulk sections of property all the time. It's nothing new. The only thing that I did was I took it out of the private market, out of that good old boy network, and I brought it into the public market, which actually increased the value of it. That was really the big change between what has been done and what I did. So obviously, anybody else can do that. And that that was pretty cool. I mean, that that helped save a lot of issues, helped us streamline the entire process a little bit better. And it helped, you know, keep the deal alive, right? People at at a point figured out who was the other party, even though we weren't allowed to say. And, uh, you know, they didn't want to be in the public light of, uh, you know, dropping out of a deal. And so I've got to believe the publicity of it kept certain parts of it alive that may have been a little bit more of a struggle and a fight if it was private market. I see. That's really fascinating and stuff that we don't uh, usually as residential realtors see at all. We don't have any insight into. So. Right. Yeah. But you know, most people are not, are not interested. I've, uh, I've pitched uh, a course on this quite a bit. I teach monthly in my market center and at my lender's office. I, I teach a class on, on systems, like how we, how we stayed organized enough to complete this. And that's a big hit, but mostly because people, you know, can use our systems for regular residential stuff. But when it comes to big, crazy deals, people are a little more interested in the story than in the possibility of them doing it too, which blows my mind. For a lot of people, it's just overwhelming, I think. Yeah, I think it's also a, a goal, right? I, I was having a, a Facebook conversation with someone the other day. I, I I don't remember who it was. It was, was off of one of the Facebook groups and they had messaged me and I think it might've been about this deal. And we were chit-chatting a little bit and she had noticed that I was into exploring other businesses, right? Like I, I love starting stuff. If I can find a way to make more money and make other people's lives easier by selling a product or a service that they love, I want to get into it. Now, I dance around a lot of businesses and I have, I have started a lot of failed businesses in my, in my short life. Um, and the person was asking me, said, Aaron, I don't understand. Aren't you supposed to just pick one thing and master that? And I said, yeah, you know, I think my one thing is doing some grandiose things. And that includes building businesses. And and she's like, well, you know, with all due respect, I mean, that's more of like, uh, you know, uh, not like a Jeff Bezos and, uh, you know, all these big wealthy people thing, not not a you thing. And I said, well, you know, I, I happen to be those guys. You know, I just haven't hit my peak yet. And yeah. And that was kind of eye opening for me that most people don't think like that. I guess the thought of that, that brings me to the thought of surrounding yourself with people who are willing to go there with you and think that way. And there's so many doubters out there. It's so funny. Like the more I think that you hit those inflection points, you start to hear people like that doubting and, and that's their thing. Oh, yeah. That's not... When I first publicized that, when the, when the listing went live, I'm really, really big on social media. It's, it's, it's one of the things that I really understand, mostly because I like to analyze people so I can use my social media and that analysis to get the reaction that I want and tell the story about myself that I want people to see. And so when we got that listing, it was secured, assigned, it was, it was, it was on the market. I just I popped it onto Facebook and Facebook went crazy. And everyone was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. This is great. This is amazing. Good for you. And then like 30% of the people are like, well, you know, there are bigger sales in LA. And I'm like, okay, that's that's great. We're in Cincinnati. So if you quadruple that, that's kind of like what we're doing. He's like, oh, well, you know, this or that. And I'm just like, everybody, you know, about 30% of these people were just nothing but negativity. Well, I'm glad you got it listed, but that's not something that can sell. And you know what? To those guys, I, I, if I could figure out who they were, I'd like to go back and remind them that we had 15 offers on that portfolio. Amazing. Those will be the first 30% that will not make it through the shift. <laughs> uh, 100%. And they'll, the, those are the types of people that I think continuously fail for an assortment of reasons. But a lot of it comes down to mindset. 
you know, I, I live out of a mindset of abundance. Even in my days where we were dirt poor, right? I still, still was a mind. I always knew that I was going to make it. You know, I, I remember years ago, not that many years ago, actually, just a few short years ago, where, you know, we, we had to put the food back at the grocery store to pay for diapers, you know? I mean, that was, that was not a fun scenario to be in. And that's a never, it's never a scenario I'm going to be in again in my entire life. I don't care what happens. And I think it's because of the drive that I have, the idea that there are no limits, and just my overall abundance mentality, that's the reason that a, I got out of that scenario, and B, I excelled, and and C, I scored, you know, some unique opportunities. So I think what's really interesting when you see people like you who have accomplished these big things, and like you said, I, I I agree with you. I think you're just scratching the surface here. A lot of questions in my mind come up. One of the things, well, I think we have to tell this. How did you celebrate? Uh, <laughs> I, went, I, I went on a very mini vacation. So we closed. We closed the deal. I waited. I got the check. It took three or four days to get the check. Put that in my bank account, and then we just up and left, and we went on vacation. Now, for most people, they're probably thinking like a beach vacation or flying to I don't know some desert island in a big resort. We drove down to North Carolina, and we found all the hot little tourist traps we could find. We went like gem mining for like 10 bucks, and we went through like a drive-through safari, which was kind of cool. And we visited some friends in uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was just it just seemed like a cool place. And every, every place we stopped, we met up with uh, people in the industry that we knew online and connected up with them. And you know what? We just, we just had a good time. We just decided to live our lives like we would normally live and just go. And then we came back a week later, you know, it wasn't anything fancy, but for us, it was perfect. You know, I had spent nine months working that deal and I, I needed a break and I, I didn't want to go to a resort. I didn't want to do anything that wasn't me. I wanted to have fun. So the story about you going to, what is that Italian restaurant? The Olive Garden. Uh, did, did that happen? We did go to the Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> So we, I love it. we end up, we end up down in Charlotte. It took us two days to get down there. Cause we've got, you know, a couple of kids and we get down to Charlotte. And, um, the first thing we wanted to do was to meet up with some really good friends of ours. And Alice and I were, we're out, my wife, we're, we're Olive Garden people. At least we were until we got a little chunkier than we prefer. And so we're trying to figure this out. And, uh, you know, at first I'm like, all right, let's go to someplace fancy and posh. I'm like, no, forget that. Let's Let's go to the OG. So we went to the Olive Garden. They've got free wine samples, by the way. Almost every Olive Garden in the country, you get four free wine samples. So definitely don't forget that when you go. Who knew? That's such a <laughs> You are still Jenny from the block. <laughs> and your wife, I love, I love when you guys get on Facebook together. I can tell you guys love each other and are so supportive. And I read this book a long time ago called The Brain That Changes Itself. It was all about brain elasticity. Have you ever read that I, one? I have not. I'll be honest with you. I am really bad at reading books. I'm really good at Audible. Yeah. For some reason, I just do prefer to have it in my hands. And I read I read another book called Nurture Shock. It talked about how parents should, if they're reading, if they're big readers, they should always have the book in their hands so kids see it so they don't see them necessarily on their mm-hmm. phones because they can't so I don't know that always stuck with me. So I'm always trying to like have the book in my hands. Although, you know, sometimes I think it's easier to do the audiobook, especially if you're driving a lot. But in that book, it talked about people who are adored by their significant other are able to achieve the highest levels of success. 
And I wonder, I just, I'm interested to learn more. I just did a podcast with my husband about what it's like to run a successful business with your spouse. And how do you two sort of support each other, encourage each other, keep each other accountable? Sure. Well, you know, I'm a really high D person, which means that for me, at least when I get a big win, it's awesome. And that's all you hear about. When I get a big loss, it sinks me. You know, my my love language is words of affirmation. So, you know, even if I get just the slightest negative thing about something I'm doing, it takes me a lot of work to rebound. And my wife has been with me through thick and thin. She's been with me since we were making, you know, 400 bucks a month, right? And so obviously she's not with me for my money. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's real it's real love. And when you really love somebody, you support their dreams. And that's what she does. She supports my dreams. And when I get into those little ruts where something negative happens and I have a hard time coming out of it, she's just got this magic ability to snap me out of it. Nobody else can do it like she does it. It's incredible. I don't know what I'd do without it. You know, and she's always she's always been my cheerleader. She's not afraid to slap me in the face if uh, she thinks I'm chasing after the wrong shiny object. You know, the and again, it, a lot of it goes back to the to the days where we didn't have money, we weren't succeeding. You know, I remember one year we had nine contracts in January, supposed to all close out in February. And this was this was like my my breakout, right? Like I had been struggling. I finally get nine under contract. And I'm like in heaven. And they all crashed and burned. Every single one of them crashed. And I'm just, you know, you so you imagine that you're about to and these were these were low level deals, but out here, I mean, it was it was like a year's salary. So I'm about to walk into February earning, I don't know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. And the next thing I know, I've got negative twenty six bucks in my bank account. And I I don't have enough food on the table. And it was tough, and yet my wife and I were like, All right, we, we got this, let's double down. And she was the one who pushed me. Wow. You have three kids now. I do. And that's no more. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, we're sort of <laughs> in the same boat. How do you kind of break up? Like, what do your daily habits look like? Not just related to business, but like sort of, I know it's not, no one has a typical morning in real estate, but what does that kind of look like as far as responsibilities for you and your wife? Do you trade off or do sure. you just know one person's always this. How does that wow, work? So we, we wake up in the morning. She takes care of the baby who usually eats around the time we wake up. I get the boys dressed and I take them into school and then I, I jump off to uh, to work, jump off to the office or or out to a project we're exploring. I, I have a lot of those days where I'll, I'll jump over to a you know, potential flip or something that we want to look into. But that's that's usually our morning and she does her thing at home, gets things, you know, organized, watches her shows, right? Takes care of the baby. And middle of the day, she goes, picks the boys up. She usually takes them and runs off as much energy as possible. And I do my absolute darndest to leave the office about 5 or 5.30. And when I get home, I take over, right? We give mom a break, get the crazier, rambunctious boys out of the way, get them into the playroom, get them outside, get them doing something, get them out of mom's hair. And uh, she'll usually work on some sort of dinner. We're actually pretty light dinner eaters, unless it's like a family night. And that's pretty much our routine. And once all the kids are down, she and I hang out, play a little backgammon or something. That's our day. <laughs> it's not too complicated. Well, you guys have figured it out. It definitely sounds like a partnership. You know, the, the key is you, I, when you're in a scenario like that, where you got someone who stays at home and somebody goes into the office, you absolutely have to understand that both people are physically and mentally exhausted on their own level when they get home, right? So like when I get home, 
she knows that I'm very mentally exhausted and oftentimes physically exhausted because it's a lot of work to do what we do, right? She gets it. And I also know that she's been, you know, probably a little bit more on the physical side and, and, and definitely in a, more than more than she needs on the mental side with a bunch of four and five-year-olds, right? And I know at that point, I have the opportunity to give her the mental break that she needs because I still have the stamina to take care of it. You know, that's just what you do. And then there, there are days where we both need, you know, our, our own me time, right? We'll just take a break, play a game on your phone or something, right? There are other days where we just, you know, we jump right in the backgammon or some days we're planning something out. We're doing a kitchen remodel right now. And, you know, so there's been a couple of nights over the last few weeks where once the kids are down, we're going over how we're going to, you know, finish stuff up and the, the install dates and things like that. That's our time to do that. But you got to you gotta really understand when you get home, the other person's been working just as hard, if not harder. You got to respect that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So... Do you guys ever do date nights? Not as much as we should. It's uh, it's a little challenging with the baby. We had forgotten about those for a little while. We got back into the swing of it right before the baby came, and then we're trying to get a little bit back into our swing. So normally, you know, we just take our evenings and just kind of hang out and chit chat and have our fun, have our arguments, play our games. I love it. Whatever works for you, right? I mean, if you can connect on that on that level without the kids kind of in your hair, I think that's right. So our kids go to she's real big on her team. They go to bed at seven o'clock, right? Okay. That's mm-hmm. that's it. That's what happens. Right around then the baby eats. It's a really good time. So by the time I've actually got the kids to sleep and by the time the baby's done, it's usually around eight o'clock. And then it's us. And then it's eight until we get too tired, you know? So there are days I have bad days and I'm going to stay up to two in the morning, binge watching uh, ancient alien astronauts. And there are days I've got great days. And all we're going to do is we're just going to sit and hang out and tell jokes. And maybe we'll troll a little bit of Facebook or something together. We do that a lot, sitting right next to each other, tag teaming what's going on on Facebook. Yeah, we love that. We love the couple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I got two more questions yeah. for you. This is a Tim Ferriss question that he asks everyone, which I love. He says, if you could put anything on a billboard, what would it say? Ooh. Just like in general or for advertising or? General, just in general. Like, I don't know, your mantra or what you just wish people would understand. So my my mantra, it's on my email, is see you at the top. That's what I do. Do you think anybody's capable of doing what you've done? 100%. Absolutely everybody. Listen, I teach my kids uh, no limits. They've They've got positive affirmations they say every morning. You know, there, there are words that we have removed from our vocabulary and we call them out every time they're said, you know, things like can't or, or won't or stuff like that, because that's way too limiting, right? So easy example. Sheena, can you, um, can you breathe underwater? No, I can't. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you can. If you have a breathing apparatus like the scuba divers have, you can breathe underwater. It's pretty incredible. In fact, similar devices are used when you go into space and there's no oxygen. So the idea behind the word can't is it's an easy out. It's an easy exit. The only way for can't to really make sense is with a series of qualifiers after it. I can't breathe underwater without some sort of breathing device that blocks the water out and just provides oxygen, right? And so because of that, and, and you can, you can, it doesn't have to be breathing underwater. It can be anything. Can you fly? Can you this? Can you that, right? Anything that you automatically think can't, if you stop using that word can't, you replace that word with whatever, all of a sudden, you've gone from limiting thinking to like this this absolute abundance, limitless thinking. That's how we run our household. That's how we run our family. That's how we run everything that we do. There are no limits. 
only limits that we that we impose on ourselves. So you ask, can anybody do a big deal like this or anything else? Absolutely. The only ones who are not able to do that are the ones who have limited themselves. So Aaron, last, my last question is, what is next for you? Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's next for us. Uh, our goal is is absolute domination as a team across the country, and that starts locally. So our first step is dominating our entire region. We're in the process. Uh, Cincinnati's right on the border uh, with Kentucky. So in fact, from my office, it's closer to go to another state than is to go to another city in our state. So we're in the middle of expanding across the river and, and handling in Kentucky. It's very common that people move back and forth. That's a big one that, that allows us to help all of our clients instead of starting, you know, there's times where we had to pass clients off to other people to handle handle them across the river. And, you know, just it just interrupts things because not everybody operates the same way we do, which is fine, but we love consistency. And then the next thing that we're starting, we're actually onboarding this process later today. Um, we're getting into the estate and probate uh, side of the business. I've just heard so many horror stories about how you know people come in and try and snatch up and all these properties after someone you know passes away, and, it, and there's so much stress involved in that. And sometimes people don't know what to you know. Right? It just it's so painful when somebody passes, and we're like, you know what? We need to be there. We need to be in that in that part of the business because we're actually people who care. We're people who've lost you know close family and friends. We understand what it's like to be you know the executor or executress of an estate and how how much stress that puts on an individual, right? And we want to be in that part of the business so that way we can just alleviate some of that stress and some of that pain and let them focus on the grieving, you know? Let let them do that part. We'll take care of the rest. So that's our next new big thing. We're really excited to get in and start doing that. Um, and then after that, you know, we're always chasing new, unique opportunities. So if anything weird or different or big or comes on the horizon, I'm I'm jumping on it. You've got a lot of stuff. And I imagine next time we talk, you're going to have even yeah, more. Yeah. You know, my, my personal assistant um, keeps a list of all the things that go on in my head. And we revisit <laughs> them every month. It's uh, it's really hard. And, you know, so most people, when they're on on target or on something good, it's like they're going 80 miles an hour on a, on a 55 highway, right? Me, it's like I've got 15 semi-trucks on 15 different highways going 80 miles an hour. That's just how my brain operates on a regular basis. And actually makes it very, very challenging to operate just, you know, hour in and hour out during the day. So I've had to surround myself with people who can kind of keep me on track and not let me lose the the vision that comes with a mind that works that way. Probably one of the interesting barriers to getting to the next level of success of like, okay, how can I, how can I narrow things down? Look at really what I, the two or three things I want to focus on, really focus deeply and then, you know, get past that and then hit my next two exactly. or three. Thank you again. I always enjoy our talks and I can't wait to bring you on again. And I will see you Absolutely. At the top. See you at the top. Look at that. You remembered it. <laughs> yes, indeed. No problem. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap. Until next time, be well, my friends. <laughs>